Let's pray. Father, your love has brought us here this morning. We sing about your amazing love. We worship you because of your love. We stand in the pulpit and in the classroom and in the nursery and the clear and consistent message, God loves you. Lord, while we celebrate in this message, we also confess to you that too often that love doesn't mean a whole lot to us. Too often we're, we're not awed by that anymore. Too often we don't make the connection with your love and what that should mean and how I choose to live each day. Father, as we go through this week, I pray that your love would be the, a great encouragement in our lives, would be a great healer in our lives, a great motivation in our lives. I pray your love would be a director in our lives, that we would make decisions about how we're going to act, how we're going to respond, how we're going to handle a situation. And, and your love for us is the driver in that. God, I pray for every person in this room. And when I say this prayer, it be such a wide spectrum. But God, for each person in this room, may this week they have an encounter with your love in a very real and powerful way. Lord, you know how to answer that prayer. You, you know what that needs to mean for each person, what that would look like for each person. God, I just ask that you would do it. And I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we're continuing today. We're moving along in our What Is series, all these different questions that we're asking. And today we come to the question, what are angels and demons? Now, you might remember from the last couple of weeks when we advertised this sermon, it was going to be, what are angels and demons and Satan? And uh, like I've done more than once in this, in this series, as I kind of dove in there and got to working on it, I realized there's no way uh, I could kind of put that all in one sermon, not to mention, I, I think, with the uh, powerful figure that Satan is in this world, uh, we needed to take a look at him uh, individually. So next week, we're going to be answering the question, what is Satan? Folks, it's a very intriguing uh, message. We're going to be looking at some passages. Passages that show where and how and why Satan fell. There, there's a great amount of detail as to how that happened, why it happened. Uh, then the influence that he has in our lives. We're going to be looking at what we do about that, how we approach and deal with the issue with the person of Satan. Of course, we'll be looking a little bit of his work in this world and his future. Uh, so I hope you'll be back next week for that. But today, we take on that question, what are angels and demons? Now, folks, when it comes to this topic, I mean, we just kind of freak out, don't we? I mean, we just go in every direction under the sun. We have all kinds of ideas and thoughts and beliefs about angels and demons. And maybe more than any other issue in Scripture, this is one where we've got all of these ideas and it may not be taught anywhere in Scripture at all. We've got these ideas about angels and demons and nowhere in Scripture are those things communicated. A lot of us have our ideas. If you kind of trace it back, you'll realize this. Some of your ideas about angels and demons don't come from the Bible. They come from movies and TV and art. As a matter of fact, I've got a couple of things here uh, that mind you. 
where we get our different ideas. You see that, that, I don't know why we think of angels as fat little babies. You know, a chubby little baby floating on a cloud playing an instrument. That's a kind of a traditional view uh, of angels. And then we've got just the, the scary demon. And there's all kinds of pictures that, that come to mind, very traditional pictures. And then we got that poor girl in the exorcist. Bless her heart. You know, you can see her head's on backwards. And I never saw that whole movie. I've seen bits and pieces on, on TV. I know that I think in this scene right here, she had a little trouble with some green pea soup she'd eaten that night for dinner. Um, but you know, if I, we, we think about that movie. I don't, that was the, what, mid-70s or something. You know, when people watch that movie, they, they think they're watching the Bible. They, they think they're watching what, what Scripture teaches uh, about angels and demons. Folks, just because we draw it, just because we put it on TV, just because people say it and pass ideas along and along and along and along, doesn't mean it's what God taught. Doesn't mean that it, it came from Scripture. Now, what I want to do today, maybe to your disappointment, and I hope not to your boredom, we're going to swing completely the opposite direction from this. We're going to move away from the emotional, the sensational, uh, and the ooh and the ah and the goosebumps, and we're going to get just the facts. We're going to look at a lot of, of just raw data. It's amazing to me how little... I'm not talking about believers. I'm not talking about the world. It's amazing to me how little we know about angels and demons from Scripture because there is a ton of Scripture about angels and demons. God teaches a lot about this. Folks, this is going to be a little bit different sermon. I, I've not given a sermon like this in the entire time I've been here. In just a moment, just about every single bit of this sermon is going to be on the PowerPoint. You know, usually it's a line here and a point here and a point there. I, my entire manuscript is on, going to be on the PowerPoint in just a moment. You're thinking, oh, what are we bracing for? Uh, this is one, you remember we've talked about this week in and week out. This is one you may very well want to go to our website, chbaptist.com, and uh, click on the sermon series logo. What is? Now, there's a place in there where you say, listen to sermons. No, don't click on that. Click on the what is sermon series logo and you'll go to a page where you can see the book recommendations you can hear every sermon in this series but you can also download all the notes uh, this is going to be a message a little bit different I'm not going to read a single passage today but I'm going to show you about 300 passages today I doubt you're going to get all those written down but we want to know what God has said so this is one, go download it and, and study and uh, see these different points we're going to be making about angels. Like I said, God has given us so much about angels and demons. The uh, Hebrew word for angel is malak, and it means messenger. The Greek word for angel is angelos, which probably guess that's where we get our English word angel uh, and it also means messenger. The Hebrew word appears 103 times in the Old Testament. The Greek word appears 175 times. Now folks just do the math. There, there's almost 300 references, 300 uses of the word angel and those aren't the only references. That's just when the word angel 
is used. There are references to angels that don't use the word. They're called sons of God. They're called the holy ones. Uh, they're, they're referred to by a variety of different titles that we're going to see in a moment. So there are literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of places in Scripture where angels are referenced. They're in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. They're in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. As a matter of fact, in, of the 65 books, the 69 books of the Bible, there are 34 books. 34 books where we see angels being referenced. There is a lot there about them, and we want to know what God says about them. Now, if you will, turn your attention to the screen. We're going to kind of work through some pieces here of looking at how God has revealed angels. Now, for this first part, when we're talking about angels, we're also talking about demons. They, they are the same thing. In, in their makeup. Now, obviously, they've gone down two different roads. I, I guess you could say as we look at angels and demons, it's a little bit talking about a human being. You, you've got children of God and you've got children of Satan. They're very different in their future. They're very different in their makeup. But a human being is a human being, right? Whether a person is lost or saved, they're still a human being. Well, that's true of angels. Whether they're a good angel or a bad angel, they're still an angel, so a lot of this first part, when we're talking about angels, I'm going to use that word more, but it is, it is true for demons also. First of all, let's look at the creation of angels. This first one's very important to realize, whether we're talking about angels or demons, and of course, in this case, Satan, they are all created beings. Angels are not deity. They do not have the attributes of deity. They are limited. They are very, very strong. They are very, very intelligent, but they are limited in their strength, in their intelligence, in their ability. They are a higher class of being than humans. Now, I didn't put the passage there that, that clearly points that out, but Psalm chapter 8 makes it clear that in God's created order, angels are a higher being than humans are. Now, there's a couple places today where I could say this, but I'm going I'm to say it here as I talk about angels and humans being different. Because I'm about to dispel maybe the most common untruth people believe in. I think I hear this at every single funeral I go to. Humans do not become angels. Okay? You're not going to, doesn't matter how old you are, you're not going to become an angel. I have no idea. Maybe it was Jimmy Stewart that got that started in a wonderful life. Folks, you can hear bells. I don't care what happens when you die. You're not becoming an angel. Nowhere in Scripture does it say anything like that. You don't get wings. Now, you get a lot of wonderful things in heaven. If you want wings, ask God. I'm sure he would work out for you. But we do not become angels and get wings when we die, okay? There are angels and there are humans. They're different beings. Saying we become an angel is like saying, you know, when we die, we all become giraffes. No, that's just a whole different thing. They're animals, we're humans. You got it? Okay. Now, don't get mad at the funeral when they say, well, they've become an angel. I usually just ignore it and bite my tongue. But uh, anyway, angels are created beings. They were created by Christ. They were created before the world began. And when I say the world, I'm talking about the world that you and I know. Before the, the physical universe that you and I know, angels were created before that. They were created holy and they lived in the holiness of God. So see, the scripture tells us a lot about where they came from, how they got here, and, and what their makeup is. Let's look at their makeup, their, their nature. They are personalities. Now, what I mean by that, folks, is they're persons. 
you and I are persons. God is a person. A person is defined as having an intellect, having an emotion, having a will. The Scripture gives evidence of angels having, as you can see there, all three of those things. A lot of Scriptures refer to them having all of these. They are spirit beings. It means they don't have a body. You're saying, no, no wait a minute. I, I remember people saw them. Yes, they can manifest themselves just as God can manifest Himself. God is a spirit being doesn't have a body. Jesus, of course, the Son of God, has a physical body. Angels are spirit beings. They do not have bodies. They manifest themselves at times in human forms and in a variety of other forms. But while they are spirit beings like God, they're not omnipresent. Remember how we talked that about God when we looked at His attributes? God is everywhere present. A hundred percent of God is in this room and a hundred percent of God is in those churches that we worshiped at in St. Vincent and there's a hundred percent of God in churches that are gathering in China and there's a hundred percent of God in places that don't have anything to do with the church this morning. God's everywhere present. That's not true for angels and demons. They have, while they are spirit beings, they have spatial limitations. They're in one spot. That's true of Satan. If Satan is standing right here with me right now, I hope he's not, but if Satan is standing right here with me, then he's not sitting next to you. He's not in the concourse. He's not outside. He's not on the other side of the world. He would be right here and only right here. That's true of Satan. It's true of angels, demons. They're spirit beings, but they're only in one spot at a time. They're also immortal. That is, they, they live forever. They do not propagate, though. That means they don't multiply. The same number of angels that God created on the first day of angels is the exact same number of angels that there are today. Here again, another proof. We don't become angels. If we became angels, then that number would be increasing and growing. So we learn a little bit here about their makeup. Let's look at their organization now. Organization of angels. There are a lot of angels. We don't know a number. Uh, the, the largest number referred to in Scripture is myriads, which is basically a word that means innumerable, innumerable, uncountable. There's a lot of them. You know, I think evidence of that is while Satan can only be in one spot, he has so many demons that his influence and effect is felt almost everywhere. So there's a lot of them. Of this large number of angels, they are organized. It is clear that God has organized the elect angels, the good angels, and that Satan has organized the bad angels. And if you'll see there, I put, that's a lesson here. Folks, we're not meant to be loners. We're not meant to be out on our own. We're not meant to be away from organization. If the spiritual realm, if both God and Satan recognize the strategy, the significance of being organized, working together, then, then we should probably figure that out in our lives also, we do well organized and put together. Now let's look at these different kinds of angels. When I say ranking, I don't know if that's the best word because you're getting ready to see an A and a B and a C and a D and that's not necessarily to say it's in that order. I, I don't know the order uh, of different angels. It doesn't really make that clear other than to say there's titles being used there that's pretty clear. There's some kind of hierarchy in place. Now we do know the one who's at the top and that's Michael. Michael is designated as the archangel. There's only one that is referred to as the archangel. He may very well have taken Satan's spot. 
As I'm going to present next week, I think Satan at one time was the, the pinnacle of God's creation and over all the angels. It looks like Michael holds that spot now. You can see he's a guardian uh, of Israel. He leads, he's the leader of the armies of angel or the army of host. And he leads them against Satan's armies. So Michael is the archangel. We see angels referred to as chief princes. We see angels referred to as governmental authorities or governmental powers. Go to the, the next slide there. Governmental rulers. And actually, you, you see they're referred to, I mentioned a moment ago, not every time angels are being referred to is the word angel being used. Sometimes they're referred to by these names. And again, I don't know what the exact order of these is, but we see angels referred to as rulers or principalities, authorities or powers. Uh, go on to the next one, powers. Uh, is another one, places of rule, thrones or dominions. Now, how this all lines up, I don't know how that looks, but it's very clear. As you can see, there's a lot of governmental type titles used in reference to angels and their organization. Uh, so we, we see that with them. Those names are true, and if you've got to read some of those as it went by pretty quickly, those names are used both of good angels and bad angels. Uh, these same kinds of things. We also see particular angels referred to uh, in the scripture. I mentioned... Um, or, yeah, two more here, cherubim and seraphim. Now, cherubim, you might be familiar with that name. You've probably, here again, looked at a, you know, a nice little plump baby and said, oh, he's a little cherub. We mean, he's a little cute guy. I'm guessing, in reality, if you saw a cherub, you wouldn't pinch it on the cheek and you wouldn't say, oh, what a little cute guy. Um, cherubs, as I see them in Scripture, are, are probably a pretty awesome and, and pretty dominating class of angels. I'm guessing if you saw one, you would have something similar to an emotional breakdown. You'd probably fall out on your face. Uh, angels, at times, people have fallen before them and begun to worship them. And the angel, every single time, stops that. No, we only worship one, and that is the Lord God. Don't ever worship me, is what every angel has ever said. But in seeing humans worship them, that says something probably about the awesomeness, the overwhelmingness of their, of their appearance, uh, of their presence. Satan was... Uh, is referred to as the anointed cherub. So if you're wondering what kind of angel Satan was, he, he was a cherub. Uh, this is an angel that, that lived in the presence of God, probably somewhat of an attendant there at his throne. Uh, it is a cherub that guards the way to the tree of life that we lost in Genesis, that we, we lost in the Garden of Eden. Seraphim is another kind of angel. Only one reference to those in the Bible, and that's in Isaiah. Uh, and they appear to be pretty awesome as uh, Isaiah was taking in the scene of God and and these angels, these seraphim flying around the throne, it, it literally says he came undone. It, it was more than his body physically, emotionally could, it could handle, could process. So we, we see fer seraphim. There's other kinds of angels that we see mentioned. One of those is Gabriel. Uh, you might remember that name. You know, Michael is mentioned in, in both the Old and the New Testament. Gabriel is another angel mentioned by name that is mentioned in both the Old and the New Testament. Uh, his name means hero of God. And it seems as far as messages go, he's a favorite of God because Gabriel's always delivering a message. He, he delivered a message to Daniel. He delivered one to Zacharias. You might remember that's going to become the father of John the Baptist. And he delivered a pretty important message to a little girl named Mary. I hope you know that name. That leads us into the Christmas story. So Gabriel is one that God seems to say, hey, come here, come here, come here, come here. Go tell them this. 
Gabriel's one that God seems to grab a lot. We also see angels with special responsibilities. And you see all the, the references there are in Revelation. Uh, Revelation is a, a big burst of angelic uh, responsibility and activity. These are all related uh, to spe- specific things. Notice that last one. There's angels who bind Satan. There are already today angels who have been identified by God who have the responsibility to guard the cell that Satan's going to sit in for a thousand years. We're going to talk more about that at the oh later in the fall when we get to the end times. But those angels have already been identified. They already know who they are. They know their responsibility is going to be to bind, to hold down, to guard Satan and to keep him from getting out for a period of time. So we see all those angels. Go to the next one. Then we have angels associated with, with future judgments. We think of the bowl judgments, the trumpet judgments. Again, those come out of Revelation. Uh, we're going to spend some time with those this fall. But it's angels who are bringing all of this about. Now let's look at some of the things that angels do. What are they doing right now, today? running around the universe, running around the, uh, the earth. Well, we can look at what they do in relation to certain people. In relation to God, and I'm assuming this is no surprise to anybody, they, they praise, they worship, they rejoice, they're instruments of God's judgment. When, when God determines certain things are to happen, a lot of times He sends an angel to do that work. Let's look at the next side. In relation to certain epics, by that I mean angels get real active whenever we move into major new time periods. So we see them very active around creation. We see them involved in the giving of the law. We see them involved with the first coming of Christ, the beginning of the church. And as I said a moment ago, at the second coming of Christ, when we enter Revelation, there's a big burst uh, of angelic activity. We see them involved. Look at the next one. In relation to the ministry of Christ. Now there's a lot of things under this one. Uh, we see Christ, uh, angels involved at his birth. Now most of us are pretty familiar with that. That's the, the Christmas story, right? I mean we got Gabriel there talking to Mary. And we got the angels appearing to shepherds. And angels there at the, at the, uh, at the manger. We got a lot of angels. You know it's interesting. When you look at all of the angelic and demonic activity in the Bible, you see almost about half of it just in the years that Christ walked on this earth, which is kind of interesting. A lot of us know there's a spiritual warfare going on. There's a warfare between good angels and bad angels, and that warfare takes place in the spiritual realm. But when Christ comes to this earth in bodily form, guess what happens? The warfare comes with it. And, and both in a very physical manifesting way. And so we see a, a huge amount of activity explode with both angels and demons during his life on this earth. As a matter of fact, once Christ ascends, a lot of that angelic activity starts to slow down. That's not to say angels and demons are not active today on this world. They are. I believe they manifest themselves today. But I do think it's a little bit difficult to compare today to those years that Christ walked on this earth. We see a, a lot of activity. So they're, born, they're involved at His birth. They're involved uh, with His life. They warn, they direct, they minister. They, remember, they ministered to Jesus when He was in the garden or when He was being tempted by Satan. They ministered to Him at the end of those 40 days. They, they ministered to Him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus refers to them as a defense uh, we move on, we see them very active in his resurrection. Uh, they rolled the stone away, they made the announcements, and as I've said, they're going to be very, very active um, at the second coming. Very active in, in, in their work will be there uh, involved with that. 
What do they do in relation? Let's move to the next one. What do they move in relation to the nations of the world? Michael guards Israel. Israel has a guardian angel in Michael. I think from the passages in Daniel, we could suggest maybe, I don't know this for a fact, I think you could suggest that maybe every nation has a guardian angel. An angel that is working over that nation, has responsibility of that nation. We certainly know from the passages in Daniel that angels are involved in, in the direction of nations and in what they're doing and, and in influencing uh, their leaders. Let's look at the next one. In relation to the nations of the unrighteous. Uh, in other words, how are angels involved with unbelievers? Well, they, they, bring, they announce judgments. They bring judgments. You see that last one there? Angels separate the righteous from the unrighteous. Uh, that is said a multitude of times throughout the New Testament. You know, folks, that's a place where I stop and think, man, you know what? One day that's really going to happen. I mean, there's just going to be this sea of humanity before the throne of God. And the angels are going to move into that sea and they're going to start parting people. You go over here. You go over here. The group that's going over here is going to eternal torment and destruction. The group that is going over here is going into eternal life. And it is the angels that are going to move through and start parting people. That's a real deal. That is really going to happen. And boy, when you're reminded of that, don't you have to stop and say, if that happened today... Which group is the angel sending me to? Because they do know. Look at the next slide. The ministry of, of re angels in relation to the church. In relation to you and me. Angels help us. They help believers. I, I don't know what that always looks like. I don't know that you and I have to determine. Was I helped by an angel or was I helped by God? Folks, you're always helped by God. God is the one giving the help. He may choose to use an angel. He may choose to, to do that without an angel. But he does use angels to do that. They bring answers to prayer. They aid in winning people to Christ. Look at that last one. They care for the righteous at the time of death. Folks, it's so important that when we go through tragedy, when we go through loss, when we go through scary times, that we don't throw our theology out the window. Because when we come to death, that is a place we throw everything we believe right out the window and make statements like we're going to become angels, even though there's nothing in our belief that actually says that. And, and when we approach death, it, we get so crazy with ideas and scared. Is it going to be dark? Is it going to be hurt? What, what's going to happen there? Folks, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're never going to be alone for a millisecond if you're a believer. If you're a believer, you're going to pass right out of this life into the arms of angels who are going to usher you into paradise. And it's never presented that that's a scary or a frightening journey for us. I'm going to suggest it's going to be the highest point you've ever lived in this universe. It's exciting times. That's what the scripture teaches. That's what I hold on to as I'm approaching my own death. That's what I hold on to as I deal with the loss of a loved one. It's not a lack of faith to hurt. It's not a lack of faith to cry. But our beliefs do need to surround that hurt and do need to guide us through that hurt. And so we see that, that the angels are there when we, when we pass away. Now you look at this long list and you think, whoo, boy, it's a good thing God's got all this help up there. Well, God doesn't need the help, folks. He doesn't need the help. God does not need angels. He does not have to use angels, but rather he chooses he chooses to use them. He chooses to involve them. You say, well, why, why would he do that? Because he made them. Do you enjoy, when you make something, when you create something, when you fix something, is there a sense of fulfillment and joy when you can step back and watch it work? Watch it actually do what it was designed to? Look at that. They, the, the garden grew. How about that? 
you know, make a meal. Somebody ate it. You build something. Hey, it, it holds up. It works. It feels good. God created angels. And he created them to be the, do these things. And so he uses them, not because he can't get to it, not because he's too busy, not because he, didn't, he can't do it himself. He enjoys watching this class of beings that he calls angels do what they were designed to do. Now, let's switch gears a little bit and look a little bit at uh, demons, okay? Now, folks, one of the things we're going to be working at through this is, is what do I do with all this information? And I'm going to answer that again in a moment when we get to the end of the sermon. But the, the, the reality is you really don't have to do anything with angels or demons. You just trust that God's in control God's using and working as He directs. You keep your focus on Him. There's a scripture reference in the, in the bulletin today. I'm not going to read it, but I encourage you to. It's a story of Peter being in jail. And an angel comes and literally gets him out of jail. Breaks him out of jail. And Peter knows it's an angel. But when you get to the end of the story, Peter gives praise and glory to God. You see, we, we have not been instructed to pray to angels, to look to angels, certainly to worship angels. Our focus is God, and then we let him do with angels as he, as he discerns, as he chooses to do. With demons, he's in control of them also. Now, demons are real beings. This is where we get kind of spooky and goosebumpy. They are real beings. Jesus speaks to the existence of demons. The New Testament speaks to their existence. As a matter of fact, over a hundred references to demons in the New Testament. Uh, again, as I mentioned a moment ago, I believe there is a heightened activity both of angels and demons in the New Testament. Demons are fallen angels. They are angels they just chose to rebel with Satan. We're going to look at that next week. Uh, they're a group of, they followed him in the rebellion. Satan deceived them into thinking, basically, you know what? I think we can take the throne. I, I think we can take God. This can all be ours. We don't need a God telling us what to do. We, we can do this ourselves. Kind of interesting, it's the same way he tempts us, isn't it? I mean, every single sin we commit, folks, is we're saying, I don't need a God telling me what to do. I can decide what is best right here. I can do this myself. Same exact temptation. So these, these angels the, that became now what we call demons, they followed Satan into rebellion. The thing we need to understand about demons, and this is just repetitive here, like angels, they are a person. They have a personality. They have intellect. They have emotion. They have will. And as I say there, I think it's important that we understand that about them. A demon is not some rabid, out-of-control monster. Okay, that might be how they're presented. That's not how Scripture presents them. They are incredibly intelligent beings. They, they know who Jesus is. They know what their future is going to be. They know the plan of salvation. They know how to promote false doctrines, how to promote false religion. They know how to steer people away from the Lord. You know, folks, if you think about what intelligence is, a lot of it's just observation. I watch something. And if I get a chance to watch it a second time and a third time and a fourth time, then I've learned it. I now know how that works, what it does. Well, think about demons and angels for that matter. They've had the opportunity to watch humans during our entire existence. Thousands of years they've watched us. They've watched us in every single situation and they've watched over and over and over so while an angel is not all-knowing, and while an angel cannot tell the future, 
they do know how we're going to respond because they've observed us so much. So in their activity with us, it might even feel sometimes like that demon is all-knowing or, or knows the future. It doesn't, but it's very intelligent and it has watched you and it has watched me and it has watched humanity. It knows our weaknesses. It knows our strengths. It knows how to lead us astray. And as the Bible teaches, it is looking for an opportunity to trip you up. It is looking for that moment that you'll give in to sin. It's looking for that moment that you'll follow Satan's way. The scripture says we've got to be aware of that. Now, what are, what are demons doing? They're running around also. Look at this same way we did with angels. In relation to Satan, they're his emissaries. They do his work. As I said, Satan can only be in one spot, but there's enough demons going out around the world to carry off his purpose. And his purpose is very simply to fight the plan of God, to fight the plan of God for this universe, to fight the plan of God for your individual life. That's what they're doing. In relation to God, they oppose his plan. Look at number two. I love this one. They can be used by God to carry out his purposes. Folks, this is true both of demons and humans. You know, folks, we can fight God, we can hate God, we can, we can shake our fist at God. It can be a human's purpose. I'm going to get people to stop believing in God. I'm going to turn people away from God. They can be fighting Him a whole way. Psalm chapter 2, God says God looks down at that and laughs. I mean, how pathetic. Oh, look, big attack's coming. Folks, you realize there is zero threat to God's rule. Zero. He's not threatened, he's not worried, he's not anxious by what Satan and demons or humans are doing. As a matter of fact, God can look down at all of our anger, all of our fighting against him, and in a moment's notice he can say, you know what, that's now going to solve my, that's going to now fulfill my purposes. And he can take demons doing demonic activity and turn it so that it only ends up fulfilling what he has planned. Is there a better example of that than the cross? It is Satan that brought about, brought about the rejection and the hatred of the Messiah. So much hatred, so much rejection that they killed the Son of God. God said, no, that's just going to fulfill my purpose as God raised him up, showing him to be the very Son of God. So even when it looks like Satan and demons are getting away with something, they're not. God's in absolute control. Look at the next thing. In relation to religion, they promote idolatry. They promote the worship of anything but the one true God. And folks, we're really seeing the demonic activity get a foothold in America. Because do you notice there's a, there's a feeling in America that you can worship, you can go after anything you want, you can talk about anything you want, and the government will protect your right to do that as long as it's not Christianity. Christianity needs to be stopped. We need to put some handcuffs on Christianity. But everything else, wh why is that? H how is it that people seem to know, you know what, believe whatever you want over here, but we've got to stop this one, just one. Why is that? That's demonic activity. That's the influence of demons. It is demons that give us all of the religions of the world. They know how to work into our mind and get us worshiping anything but the one true creator. In relation to nations, as I've said, there is spiritual warfare. Folks, you remember in all of these sermons we're doing, all we're doing is skirting right across the top. I keep mentioning spiritual warfare and we're, we're barely even looking at that today. But the scripture teaches there is a spiritual warfare going on and that warfare has ramifications in the physical world. 
And, and the scripture speaks a lot of the ramifications between nations. It is Satan's goal, is a part of his master plan to deceive the nation. So that's, that's a part of their work. Let's look at the next one. In relation to people. Now, th- this is where we get the ooh and the ah and the goosebumps and get scary, okay? I'm just warning you. What do demons do with people? They can inflict diseases and other ailments. They can cause mental disorders. And they can bring about death. Now, I know right now you're thinking, oh, it's a demon that did that? Now, let me go over A, B, and C again. We live in a fallen world. You live in a fallen body. If there was not a single demon in this universe, we would have physical ailments, we would have mental disorders, and we would die. Okay? Every time you see one of those things does not mean a demon is behind it. Okay? As a matter of fact, I would say in most cases, a demon is not behind it. But the Scripture does teach demons can do and have caused these things. Let's go on to the next one. They pervert. Demons pervert truth. They take truth, they twist it, they make it ugly, they make it unusable. You know, a tremendous illustration of that, folks, is the sexual relationship. You know, let me give you an illustration. When we say the word sex in church, it just sounds weird, doesn't it? It just doesn't sound like you should be using God and sex in the same sentence. A little awkward to mention here. Why is that? It's because Satan has picked that incredible gift up that God has given us and he's twisted it and he's made it dirty. He's made it so bad that it doesn't seem like you should talk about that and God in the same sentence. Folks, newsflash here. God created sex. It was his invention. He gave it as a gift to be shared between one man and one woman inside of marriage. It is a wonderful thing. Folks, you ought to be able to pray about it. God bless, God multiply, God make great in our relationship this great gift. You pray about it. I'm not, that's weird. (laughs) Ah, that's Satan at his best. He's so perverted it, you can't talk to God about it. And not just sex, folks, everything. That's what Satan, that's what demons do. They pervert good things. They possess, this is a fun one, isn't it? Demon possession is the direct control of a demon, or excuse me, of an individual by demons living in them. Now notice it there, a believer cannot be possessed. You remember when we were back talking about the Holy Spirit? Remember what the Holy Spirit does? He, he baptizes, He indwells, He seals, He fills. One of those ministries indwelling, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside me when I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The moment he moves in, a demon can never take up residence there again. Forever and ever. Not going to happen. Demon can't live where the Holy Spirit is. But a believer can be oppressed. A believer can be tormented. So when does that happen? How does that happen? When you and I basically open the door of our soul and give him influence. Give him opportunity. When do we do that? Well, some of the most direct ways are when we involve ourselves in things like the occult, when we involve ourselves in witchcraft, when we focus on the demonic realm. Folks, I think a lot of horror movies kind of put our mind there and and kind of put us in a place where potentially we open ourselves up. It's interesting. Some of y'all may have looked at this recently in, in your study in Galatians. There's a word there for witchcraft that, that when most literally translated is drug use. Remember Ephesians 5.18 when we said, do not be drunk with wine, don't be influenced by an outward source, but be filled, be influenced by the Holy Spirit. 
Folks, when we're, in, when we're under the influence of drugs and alcohol, we're out of control of our soul. At that moment, we're laying bare the possibility, the potential of demonic activity. You don't want them getting a foothold. You don't want them to have that opportunity. So, you know, it's a place to be very careful. But can we broaden it out beyond these things where we probably knew and kind of figured out? Sin. Folks, any sin. Doesn't matter whether you think of it as a big sin or a little sin. Doesn't matter if you think of it as a justified sin, although I don't think such a thing exists. When you sin, you have clearly planted yourself in the camp of Satan at that moment. At that moment, right there, you've said, I'm here to fulfill the purpose of Satan. It's not God's purpose. So what's the other operating purpose in this universe? Satan. Any sin we commit, we are stepping into the character of Satan. We're stepping into the purpose of Satan. Well, when I step into that place, obviously then at that moment, my life is laid bare to Satan. Now, folks, we hear all this, and again, we get, oh, my gosh, well, well, what do we do? How do we know if demons are there? How do we protect ourselves? You know, folks, this interesting thing, you don't have to worry about whether demons are there. They are. But you don't have to be focused. You don't have to be looking for them. It's very interesting. The Scripture, Christian faiths, there are some that, that, you know, show us and tell us to call out demons and to call them out by name. The Scripture doesn't command us to do that. The Scripture doesn't give us a model for doing that. Folks, you don't even have to really think about demons that much. All you got to do is this. Look at this. We are warned they're there. Okay? I know they're there. I know they're in the world. I know they're in life. I know they're trying to make me trip. I got to know they're there. We're to make sure we're under the influence of the Spirit. I want to make sure my life is under His control and influence. I want to be spiritually alert. I know there's a demon. I know there are angels. I know they're battling. I know that has an impact on my life. I know how I live and the decisions I make are a part of that. I need to be spiritually alert. Need to be clothed in God's armor. We need to pray. Folks, if you're doing those things right there, you don't have to live in fear of demons. Matter of fact, if you are in Christ and you're walking with Christ, you don't have to be afraid at all of Satan or demons. If you're not in Christ, or if you're in Christ, but you're not walking with them, I I would suggest being afraid. I would think in that case, fear is probably a good option for you because they are seeking to hunt you down and you are disconnected from the only power that can stop them. Folks, we've looked at a lot of information today, a lot of information about about angels and demons. Now the question becomes, what what am I supposed to do with it? Am I supposed to take all this home and do something with it at work or in my relation? What do I do with this? Well, folks, you know, I can say both nothing and everything all at the same time. On the one hand, you don't have to really do anything different. You know, God is letting you know all this information, but He has not told you to go looking for angels and demons. He hasn't told you when you'll know they're there or when they're not there or to determine was that angelic work or was that God. He hadn't told us to sort through all that. He's just told us that they're there. Our focus is God. We keep our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He uses angels and demons as He discerns and as He wills. Now, on the other hand... I mean, we ought to do a lot with this information. This is truth. And we know that demons are out there trying to pervert truth. We know that demons are out there trying to lead people away from truth. Well, folks, if you and I know the truth, then we would do well to study it, to learn it, and be able to communicate it. Because especially in this area, the world is out there communicating all kinds of things that are wrong. 
Well, I can't be kind of familiar with the truth and just stand there and watch false truth go by. No, we've got a responsibility. God has told us. God has communicated all of these things for our benefit and for us to share and to communicate with a world that's being beaten to death by the falsehoods of Satan. You know, folks, as I look at all this information, there's two things that come to my mind. First one is how incredibly creative is God? I mean, from the, the fish of the sea to the birds of the air to the flowers of the field to the sun and the moon and the stars to humans to angels. Man, he's creative. How awesome, how intricate, how beautiful. What an artist God is. So I see all this. I think one thing it should lead us to do is just praise him. Be in awe of his creation. Be in awe of his sovereign control and work all over this stuff. We praise him. The other thing as I learn all this is it makes me realize how much I need him. Boy, I really need to depend upon God because, man, there's a huge story going on right now, isn't there? I know sometimes I get kind of trapped into thinking the only story going on in the universe is whether I can pay that bill and deal with that person at work. You know, believe it or not, there's a little bit bigger story going on than just your life. And there's not only the story of six billion people on this planet, there's the story of a physical realm and a spiritual realm, and there's God's story, and it is huge. And that story has ramifications both for blessing and cursing in my life. And so this is all so much bigger than me. Man, I need to depend upon God. I need to depend upon God by, by going to His Word and learning what He says about all this and then going to His Word and learning how to live in light of all this. Man, I look at all this information and I praise Him. I look at all this information and I'm just aware of how much I need to depend upon Him. Let's pray. Father, that sure was a lot. <laughs> I, I pray, God, that as we leave here today, um, you'll sort, help us to process that and sort through it. And God, I pray for each person in this room today that as they walk through this week, there is something that they just learned about angels and demons that will be an encouragement to them. Lord, I don't know where that will be or what it will look like, but I pray there's a place in their life this next seven days... That, that something they heard, something that just ran by them in here, will, will be a blessing and an encouragement to them. Will give them hope. Will give them strength. Lord, I also pray, on the other hand, that they'll have a place during the next seven days where they are warned. That there'll be a place by, by something that they heard, that they learned today, that as they go through this week, there'll be a warning in their life. God, would you show us what we're to do with this incredible amount of information that you've given us. Show us. May we believe. And may we obey. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.